All right, welcome to Warning Signs. For those of you that are new or new-ish, I will let you understand that uh, before I get started, we're in the middle of a sermon series that I've titled Warning Signs, and the things that you see around the stage has to do with that theme, and what we're doing is we're tracking the life of David, and up until this point, David's life has been one of victory. Uh, he, He was anointed the king. He was... Uh, victorious over a nine and a half foot tall giant named Goliath. He served the king in the palace. Recently we've seen his life take a different kind of turn. He's been on the run because Saul became jealous of David and started chasing David, wanted to kill David. But David is still victorious. And then we found him uh, meeting up with a bunch of people in a cave. And that was the last time. I did not preach last week. Last week we had a special speaker. But the week before that, we began to talk about David's life starting to turn. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you uh, for the coming weeks, we're going to start getting pretty personal. Maybe not this morning, but next week and going forward. One one week we're going to spend specific time talking about the age that we're living in. And some of the things is going to be eye-opening. It's, it's a sermon I have spent more time preparing for than any sermon in a long, long time. I put a lot of hours into that one message, uh, which probably means you should pack a lunch when you come that Sunday. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we're going to get very detailed because we're going to start talking about things that affect the soul. We're going to start looking at David specifically in a couple of weeks and some of the warning signs that he ignored. Because one of the themes of this series is the only sign that will hurt you is the one you refuse to read and follow. And David, because of who he has been up until this point, David has been riding high. He's been victorious. He's been on that mountaintop where some of you are probably living. But how many of you have lived enough days to know that your mountaintop experience don't last very long? That eventually what goes up must come down. And so we're going to talk about David's life going forward in a very different way because I'm going to get real personal and we're going to break down some of the things uh, that, that I believe you are dealing with. I believe that the Lord has prompted me to deal with some things that are personal to you. And, and we're following the timeline of David's life. Now, this morning's, uh, this morning and next week, we're going to find David here in being promoted to the king. Okay, this is what... This is where we are in his road. This is where we're at in his journey. He's being promoted to the king. Now, this is just the beginning of the process. I want you to understand, um, actually where we're going to be this morning is a place called Ziklag. Okay? Uh, And you think Follinsby has a weird name. Um, so uh, we're going we're gonna to be in a place called Ziklag. We're going to leave David here for quite a while where he is promoted to king, And this is such an important event in David's life. It's going to take me at least two weeks to deal with Ziklag. Because I'm going to start breaking down the emotions that I see here in David and the same emotions that I see in your life. So that's the timeline. David is often remembered, if you are a student of the Bible at all, he's often remembered for being a great and a powerful king. He's the apple of God's eye. Uh, We remember him as being an anointed worshiper. He wrote most of the Psalms that you find in your Bible. He is multi-talented. He can play the harp and kill giants. I mean, you wouldn't think that somebody that's in the band can also be the star quarterback, but that's David. (laughs) 
David can do it all. David's, David's a skilled warrior. He's a craftsman. He's a musician. He's a singer. He's a songwriter. He's all over the board. He's a real renaissance man. And sometimes when you read the stories of people in the Bible, we have a tendency to turn them into characters and forget that they are actual people. Because when we read these stories, we overlook how human they were. That they actually hurt. They had emotions. They had feelings. And they had faults. So when we read people like David, we emphasize the good parts of their story. I like to refer to it as this. We only see the highlight reel. You mamas, that's what you do with your kids. You only see the highlight reel. You overlook everything. That's why you need daddy. Because daddy sees other reels. They're there to keep you balanced. That's, that's why, because mama likes to see the highlight reel. That's my baby. Daddy's over in the corner yet. Yeah, that's your baby, all right. And that's the reason they're acting a fool, because they, <laughs> another sermon for another time. But we skip over the hard stuff. When we read these stories and we remember David, we skip over the hard stuff a lot of times. David was blessed, but he was also facing a lot of challenges. And that's where we're going to start looking at this week, because when you look at the bigger picture, David was blessed, but... He also got trapped in a cave. If you remember two weeks ago, he got trapped in the cave of Adullam with a whole bunch of people that you wouldn't want to have Sunday dinner with. Him and his men this week are going to come to a place called Ziklag where their houses are being burnt to the ground and their whole families got kidnapped and taken into custody. He's going to eventually, you're going to find out as we follow David's story, he's going to have a child and as an infant it's going to die. Then he's going to have a full-grown adult child of his who is going to turn against him, try to kill him, and ends up dead himself. David's about to face some tragedy because these are some of the rough roads that David is about to experience. My sermon this week is called, Warning Signs, Rough Roads Ahead. Mm -hmm. These are just some of the rough roads that's ahead for David. Because we're going to find out here in the first Samuel chapter 29 that there is a king of a place called Gath. Does anybody remember Gath from several times in this series? Who was from Gath? Goliath. David killed Goliath from Gath. And now there's a king of Gath named Achish. And Achish was fighting alongside the Philistines. Now here's what you need to know going forward about David's story. Keep this in your back pocket. David don't like the Philistines. And the Philistines really don't like David because the Philistines did not like Saul. And they had a war against Saul for many years. Now, we find here that this king of Gath named Achish is fighting alongside of the Philistines. And David had managed to lie and deceive. What a minute. This is the apple of God's eye. And he's lying and deceiving. Uh, somebody say, you better pay attention. <laughs> Uh -huh, yeah, because just because you got the favor of God on, on you doesn't mean you're perfect. And, and that's one of the things we overlook. Sometimes we see people up on these stages holding microphones, and we think they must be highly favored of the Lord. You have no idea what they do when they lay that microphone down. So, so David has lied to the king, lied and deceived his way into working alongside of him. And the king of Achish really likes David because David's a good fighter, David is a good leader, and David has the favor of God on his life. Some folks will just use you for the favor you got. <laughs> Some folks don't really like you as much as they like what you bring to the table. I don't even have time to preach that this morning. That's just a fun little nugget for you to tuck away for later. 
Some folks aren't really into you. They're into what you bring when you come in the room. And that's what happens here. The king Achish was so impressed with David, he invites him to come fight alongside of his army. But the Philistines don't like David. So they're not happy. 1 Samuel chapter 29, beginning with verse 3. The Philistine commanders demanded, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish told him, This is David, the servant of King Saul of Israel. He's been with me for years, and I've never found a single fault in him from the day he arrived until today. But the Philistine commanders were angry. Send him back to the town you've given him, they demanded. He can't go with us into the battle. What if he turns against us in battle and becomes our adversary? Is there a better way for him to reconcile himself with this matter than by handing our heads over to him? Isn't this the same David about who the women of Israel sing in their dances? Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. So Achish tells David to go home. Skip down to verse 11. David and his men headed back into the land of the Philistines while the Philistine army went on to Jezreel. Now we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 1. And this is where we're going to spend the next two weeks in these three verses. Three days later, verse 1, when David and his men arrived home in their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag, burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and the children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and saw what had happened to their families, verse 4, they wept until they could weep no more. I want to talk to you this morning. Rough roads ahead. That one verse, I feel like landed in somebody's life. They wept until they could weep no more. Does anybody know what it feels like to cry until tears won't come anymore? That's what these men, these, by the way, these aren't sissies. If you remember from two weeks ago, these were the rough cuts of the, the country. These were the brothers that were mean, outcasts. They were depressed. They were beat up. They was in debt. These are the men that came and found David in the cave. These aren't sissies. These aren't people who quit easy. These are rough men with calloused hands who are used to fighting their way out of things. But when they saw the whole town burned to the ground and their wives and children taken captive... They cried until no more tears would come. There is a point where life will break you. Child of God, hear me because I know that you come to church to feel an uplifted message. And I'll get there. But before we get there, we need to understand that just because you said yes to Jesus does not mean that everything in life is going to be easy. There are way too many people that quit on this side of victory not because the battle got too hard but because you were never expecting to fight again. I don't know who lied to you and told you that if you surrendered to Jesus that everything was going to push up petunias and turn up tulips. But I've got news to bring to you this morning. Into every life a little rain must fall. Things are going to get hard. Warning sign... Rough roads ahead. Tell your neighbor, say, David had a bad day. Uh, now look at your other neighbor and say, and you'll have one too. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, here's, here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Because we're going to spend two weeks in Zag, Ziklag because there's too much to unpack in one message. What I want to talk to you about specifically this week is this. If your body gets sick, there are warning signs you're getting sick. You start feeling a certain way, yes? There's things that start happening in your body that let you know your body is not as well as you wish it was. However, you will seek medical help usually for physical ailments. But there are other illnesses, illnesses of the soul, that you get real good at ignoring the warning signs that something is not right. That's what we're going to start talking about in David's life, but I'm only using David as a backdrop to talk to you. Because you are the same way as David. You start overlooking the warning signs that are in your face because for the most part, we like to ignore signs because we don't want to get help for what's wrong. Because in order to get help, we have to admit. So I'm going to prescribe something this morning. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on Sunday mornings. And I'm going to take out my spiritual notepad this morning, and I'm going to write out some prescriptions for everybody in the room. Are you ready to get well? I said, are you ready to get well this morning? The first prescription I'm going to write to you is Proverbs 17 and 22. A cheerful heart is good medicine. Close your Bible. Go home. God bless you. Work on that for the rest of your life. Some of us are simply not well because we refuse to cheer up. We refuse to see that there are brighter days. We refuse to overlook things that are not as important as we make them out to be. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. So if you have a broken spirit, your strength is leaving you. You're getting sick, and you're ignoring it. Another prescription says it like this, Proverbs 15 and 13. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. If you're happy and you know it, tell your faith. Don't tell me you got the joy of the Lord, but you look like you spent the night upside down in a post hole and was baptized in vinegar. Something ought to show up. I, I get told all the time, I get told by Kristen, she get told by my wife, I get told, hey, fix your face. And listen, 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 I'm not even in a bad mood. This is all I got to work with. And I have to apologize all the time because this is what God gave me. And I walk around with this resting Grinch face. And I don't mean to put off the vibe that I'm putting off, but it's all I got. So my wife will have to correct me. Sometimes Kristen will say, hey, there's visitors. Fix your face. So I'll have to. And it's not that I don't feel cheerful on the inside, but sometimes what's on the inside don't make it all the way up here. Does anybody have that same kind of problem, or am I by myself? Okay, so I I don't know if there's any heavy-hearted people in here this morning. I don't know if there's people in here that's got a broken spirit lately. But if there is, I'm hopefully going to diagnose what ails you and write you a prescription that you can follow. Okay? Rough roads reveal how much or how little it takes to discourage whoever crosses them. After all these years of walking people through real painful circumstances, I still get amazed at how something small and insignificant can drive somebody into such deep discouragement that they'll quit their job, they'll quit church, they'll quit a marriage, 
They'll walk away from their family. They'll walk out on all the commitments that they've made. And the fact that I want to address this morning is that there's not a person in here that's not going to battle discouragement. There's not a person in this room that's going to escape this life without battling some stuff you didn't count on. But the survivors are the one who absolutely refuse to let discouragement take them out. I'm going to tell you something. I have walked some of you through things that I don't know how you made it. I have buried some of your children. I have no idea how you're sitting here in your right mind because us just going through what we have went through with our son, I don't know how you are still having the fullness of the joy of the Lord, but I have, I have preached the funerals of some of your children. That's an incredible amount of pain. Some of you went through uh, messy, ugly divorces. Some of you have lost loved ones to long, drawn-out uh, bouts of cancer and sicknesses, and it just drains you. You have real problems. I understand when you get discouraged. What I don't understand is how petty some folks are. How they quit so easy. How they get to the point where they know God is good, but they throw their hands up over something as small and inconsistent as the pastor didn't shake my hand. So I'm going to quit church. We've had choir members that quit singing in the choir because they moved their microphone. Like it's crazy how little it takes to discourage some people. And if you're one of them some people, I want to help you this morning. Because I want to announce to you today, and get this in your spirit. You ready? This is going to be uplifting and encouraging. Stuff's going to go wrong. Let that sink in. Stuff is going to go wrong. Things are going to break. Your car only has so many rotations. And it ain't the devil. Change your oil. Buy some new tires. Like sometimes you got to put some, some maintenance into something to keep it going. And then, even then, there's only so many rotations that crankshaft's got in it. Things are going to break. Things are going to wear out. You are going to wear out. Folks will lie to you. They will disappoint you. Everything's not going to go your way. Suck it up, buttercup. Welcome to life. We call all of that days that end in Y. Life on planet Earth. You live in a broken world, and you're going to have broken outcomes a lot of the times. So the fact is you can't escape discouraging moments. So I need to write you a prescription to get through them when they come. So you might as well make up your mind that before you get into bed tonight, the enemy's going to come try to discourage you and try to defeat you. People, you're going to go through family problems. You're going to go through career changes, force changes on your job that doesn't make you happy. You're going to face uh, economic downsizing. You're going to have frazzled nerves. You're going to want to slap the taste out of some folks' mouth. And it always seems to me that things get most difficult when I think it can't get any worse, they come in clusters. Hey, they, they always say bad news comes in threes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes that's 33. So there's two psalms that I want to look at with you today, Psalm 42 and 43. And the reason I want to look at these two psalms is because they tell us how to survive discouragement. I'm going to write my prescription out of these two psalms, Psalm 42 and 43. Now, these two psalms were written, the Bible says, by two of the sons of Korah. 
And in these Psalms, there's 13 different questions. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you all 13 of them. The reason I want to bring it up is because of this. The sons of Korah were writing these two Psalms, and they started asking questions, and they asked questions to two different people. The first person they asked to was to God. They asked God questions like this. Why have you forgotten me? That, that seems like a reasonable request to ask God. But then he looks down at his own soul and he says, Soul, i got a problem with you too. Because I've, I wonder why God has forgotten me, but I also wonder why is my heart so sad? I can't blame God for my sad heart. I can look up to God and say, God, why have you forgotten me? And maybe I can say, God did something Wrong, but I can't look inside myself and say, this is God's fault. So these, these two psalms are going to direct questions at both heaven and inside of ourselves. Can I tell you, God is never afraid of your hard questions. If you look up to heaven and you say, God, why is my life so hard? God, God why are you allowing this to happen? God's not afraid of your hard questions. And if God's not afraid, why are you? Why are you so intimidated to ask yourself the hard questions? Like, what did I do to get myself into this? What warning signs did I ignore? Y'all going to quit on me already? This is going to be a long day. He answers his own question. He looked inside of himself and he said, why is my soul so sad? He answers his own question. He says, because I'm wandering around in grief, oppressed by my enemies. In other words, I've allowed what they said, what they did, how they acted to get inside me. He never blamed his enemies. That's what you do. It's my ex's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my landlord's fault. It's my kid's fault. It's my mama's fault. It's my daddy's fault. He didn't do any of that. He looked inside himself and said, what did I do to set this up? Oh, I know. I let all them lies make me angry. I let all their abuse make me sad. I allowed what they did to me to torment me. Because I can't change them. But I have to be willing to change me. So, so the darkness of discouragement, hear me, we're going to walk this out, okay? The darkness of discouragement is sometimes you just having a bad day. Okay? Sometimes it's just life. And life happens to get tough sometimes. Okay? And then there are seasons... Where on top of hard life living, other issues come piling on. Like health issues, financial difficulties, family dysfunctions. I got a call this morning at 645. Before some of you was even out of bed, I got a call about their life lighting Bobby. Uh, I want you to pray. And I had to go pray for that family because my wife already mentioned it to you. So, so, so there's issues going on, at, on. So, So sometimes it's just life is hard and then it gets hard. That's adulting. That's life. That's living on this broken planet. But then, say but then. Then you've got to add to other seasons where not only is life hard, but then there's demonic attacks. Because here's what happens. The dark, sinister enemy of your soul loves to catch you when you are broken and vulnerable. And then heap more stuff on top of you. Because their intention is to break you so badly that you will quit. Now, the reason I bring this up is because there's a word that describes this. That word is oppressed. Here's what oppressed means. To press into a corner. Don't raise your hands, but 
Does that describe anybody's reality right now? Do you feel pressed into a going? And if not now, in the recent past, have you felt oppressed? Have you felt like life is hard and then bad stuff happened and then on top of all that, I just got this oppressed enemy fighting me and has backed me into a corner? Does anybody relate to that? See, there's a difference between natural discouragement and spiritual discouragement. Spiritual discouragement is when demonic pressure gets added to all your regular difficulties of life because the enemy is pressing you into a corner. And this will, this will cause you to break. I, 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 I don't know any other way to put this, but if you don't learn how to deal with this correctly, this will get you to the point where you can't think straight. You start becoming irrational. Yeah, you think about your trouble. <clears throat> help me, help me, look at me. You don't think about nothing but your troubles. The thoughts of what's wrong consume you. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? This is when the enemy has taken, yeah, you lost the house. Yeah, you lost the job. Yeah, you got all kinds of problems in your relationships. Yeah, your boss is a jerk. Yeah, your husband walked out on you. Yeah, your wife has been cheating on you. You got all kinds of problems. And then, and then the devil pushes you into a corner. And now you don't just have natural problems. You've got a spiritual attack. And now your whole mind is consumed. You can't see the goodness of God. You can't see what God has done for you because your mind is completely absorbed with what is wrong, what has come against me, and woe is me. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And all you think about is the negative. You walk into a room and two people are talking and they quit talking, well, they must be talking about me. Why must they? Why must you be so important? That just because they were talking and they quit when you walked into the room, somebody offers you a suggestion, somebody tells you how to do something differently and you you consider it rebuke and you quit the church you quit your job you quit the relationship all because they was trying to help you but your mind has become so warped that you're not thinking straight can't nobody talk to you and the first thing that the enemy does is try to get you to quit coming to God's house because the enemy knows that this is where you get healing this is where you receive the ability to have the mind of Christ so you start looking around and picking out the flaws in everybody else and all the problems that everybody else has. That's, that's how you know that you're under attack. When you can see everybody else's flaws but your own. That's how you know that you're up under spiritual attack. And too often, hear me, we ignore the warning signs. If your left arm started tingling this morning and you felt tight in your chest, you would not ignore that. You would call 911 and the prayer cut, the warriors. Somebody say Amen. But you will ignore the warning signs of discouragement. You, you'll ignore that. You want to know a big warning sign of discouragement? It's called depression. Now let me, let me draw a line. I'm not talking about people that have medical chemical imbalances. I'm not talking about people that have a real issue that is uncontrollable that makes them depressed. What I'm talking about is people that have a mourning or a sadness about their life. It's called depression. And in life, discouragement is the cousin to depression. Because depression affects how you feel. Discouragement affects how you act. So if the enemy can get you depressed... You don't feel like doing anything. And the discouragement causes you to become paralyzed. 
And you stop doing the things you know you need to do. Which is why I need to write you this prescription this morning. When you begin feeling like everything is against you and there is no chemical or biological reason for it, there might be a demon operating. You might have a devil that you are fighting and you may not pay attention to the warning signs and you won't be prepared to handle it. So the first thing you need to realize is the enemy comes to discourage the people that are going to be the most effective. This needs to get in your spirit this morning because if you are up under the enemy's attack, there's a reason for it. And it's either because you are playing games with him or it's because the enemy's afraid of you. He is afraid that if you get on the right track of what you're going to do, your anointing is going to be so strong, your testimony is going to be so feared that the enemy will not be able to handle you. See, if he can get you to stop now, look at your neighbor and say, don't stop now. Uh But here's why, because if he can get you to stop where you are, if he can get you to stop one mile short of your goal, if he can get you to stop ten feet short of your breakthrough, if the enemy can discourage you and get you to stop one day short of when your miracle comes, then he stopped what God was going to do in your life, and you can't afford to stop too soon. So, 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 so people, people have a skewed vision of pastors. Can I just be real with you this morning? People have this idea that because we are anointed to do a certain thing, that that means we're anointed against all the enemy, and that we never fight hard times. One of the earmarks of my ministry has always been I've been very transparent about the clay feet that I have and that of my family I can tell you in case you don't know me I'm one of you please don't think that because I hold a microphone on Sunday morning and stand on stage that I don't know what it's like to battle discouragement and depression I have battled depression as long as I can remember but pastor, you are up there and you're so loud and jubilant. Yeah, I know. But that doesn't mean I... That's because when you battle something, there's moments where you are where you got your foot on its neck and there's times where it's got its foot on your neck. I'm not talking to the folks that are battling like me. I'm talking to the ones of you that gave up. I'm talking to the ones that quit the fight. See, sometimes I got it and sometimes it's got me. But there's a battle that's always going on. I can remember when I was in elementary school uh, as a little child. I remember struggling with depression back then. I remember it now, but back then they didn't call it depression. They called it being sad. And they would just tell you, get up and get over it. And they they did real unhelpful things. But there was a, a, last month I was watching, I like to watch some some different uh, segments of of financial things. And I was watching a call-in program where a woman called and she was asking financial advice because her husband, I'm trying to see if there's any sensitive ears, her husband had ended his life. And it was still very raw and very emotional. He'd left behind his two children and his wife and she was calling in asking for financial advice because he was the breadwinner and she didn't know how to like, handle what was left behind. And I found myself bawling like a baby. And at first I thought it was because I was feeling sorry for this woman, but then I realized after a while this was way too raw for me to feel sorry for this woman. This was something deep inside of me. 
And I didn't realize it for several minutes. It probably took me 10 or 15 minutes to realize it. But I resonated not with her. But with him. There was something emotionally triggering in that call because they started talking about how he probably felt like his wife and children were better off without him. That the reason that he probably did that drastic of a measure was because he probably felt like they were better off without him and the struggles of him trying to keep everything together, the discouragement of losing a job, the discouragement of having financial problems, the discouragement of having kids that weren't exactly the way they raised them to be. All this discouragement got him to the point where he didn't think life was worth living anymore. And I found myself in his shoes. I didn't realize at a time how many times I've had those same thoughts. Can I be real? I did not realize at the moment how much emotional energy I have spent on those same exact feelings. That something broke loose on the deep wells inside of me and I wept uncontrollably for a while because I realized those same thoughts have been in my mind. Make no mistake about it, child of God. Just because you serve Jesus does not mean that the enemy won't lie to your mind and have your mind go to dark places. Yes, you love Jesus. Yes, we celebrate on Sunday mornings. And yes, you have the victory. Yes, you are more than a conqueror. Yes, you are the head, not the tail, above, not beneath. Yes, you're blessed in the city and blessed in the field. And you can claim all of those things and still believe lies in your head. And the more discouraged you get, the darker the reality of your life is. Depression's like wearing a weighted vest around all the time. And it affects how you feel. And because you feel a certain way, you treat other people a certain way. And because you feel a certain way, people perceive you a certain way. Can I tell you that part of my issue is this? People think I'm cold and condescending and angry. And and that's not how I want anybody to see me, but sometimes I'm just sad on the inside. Sometimes I don't have the emotional energy to fake the smile that you want from me. Sometimes I just, I have peopled all I can people. And I've got too much discouragement on the inside of me to worry about making you feel good. I hope this is resonating with somebody that you ain't just getting upset with me, but I hope that you understand how this feels because it's not that I don't think life's worth living. I don't know that my mind has went to such a dark place. See, that's why you need this prescription. Because whether you love Jesus or not, whether you're in church or not, whether you're connected to life groups or not, whether you've got 12 prayer partners or not, discouragement is very real. And it sets down in your soul. And if you don't know how to deal with it, if you don't have a prescription to get rid of it, one day somebody will be making a phone call. Like this woman did. See, these are the characteristics that God knew I had when he called me to preach. What was he thinking? Why would God call me to preach knowing that this was the way I was wired? Because let me tell you something, if anybody by law should be forced to be medicated, to take antidepressants, 
it would be somebody who battled anger the way I battled anger. Because I shouldn't be walking around that angry and unmedicated. So if anybody by law should be forced to be medicated with antidepressants, it should be somebody like me. But here's what happened when I met Jesus. I did, God called me to preach about the antidepressant. He called me to tell everybody that I met about the antidepressant to become the antidepressant. So I can stand in front of you on a Sunday morning and give you a prescription for antidepressant. So I'm going to take out my pad and give you something for your condition. Are you ready? Psalm 42 and 43. First of all, what you need to do, know is that these should be read together. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can go back and read it at your leisure. But they should be read together. There was a man named Archbishop Stephen Langdon. He was the one that put the chapter divisions in our Bible. It's very handy when you want to find a scripture, but they weren't written that way. Psalm 42 and 43 are written together as one thought. And it's in the middle of these two psalms where there's an instruction manual for breaking discouragement. Psalm 42 and verse 1. As the deer longs for the stream of water, so I long for you, O Lord. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before Him? So the first prescription I want to write to you is the presence of God. Yeah. Yeah. You need the presence of God. Can I help you before we get started? The Bible is real. People are phony, but the Bible is very real. And it has the answers for whatever it is that's ailing you. So we're going to go through this, okay? You can see bad attitudes all through the Scripture. You can see real raw emotion all through the Scripture. So, verse 5. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope... In God. I'm going to give you a list up here, and if you'll write it down, it's going to be the first prescription that you need, the presence of God. Number one, God is my hope. Number two, God is my help. Okay, verse, verse 8. Yet the Lord will command His loving kindness in, all, in the daytime, and in the night His song shall be with me, and my prayer unto God of my life. God is all my life. Verse 9, I will say unto God my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the impression of my enemy? God is my rock. Verse 11, why art thou cast down on my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God, the God of of my health. Psalm 43 and verse 2. For thou art the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the impression of the enemy? God is my strength. Verse 4. Then will I go into the altar of God. Unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee. God is my exceeding joy. I want you to look at this prescription pad that I have written up here and every time you start feeling the enemy coming against you you need to confess I claim that this discouragement is an attack of the enemy and the only reason it's attacking me is because it knows that if I ever get plugged in with God's presence that I'm going higher I'm overcoming I'm going to have power I'm going to see miracles, signs and wonders God is my hope God is my help He is all my life He's my rock He is my health He is my strength He is my exceeding joy Every 
every day profess this over your life and his word will come to pass over you. I dare you to try to stay discouraged while quoting this. I run around this building. I'll walk the backs of pews. I'll charge hell with a water pistol if I'm reading this over my life, over my children's life, over my reality, over my finances. How can I stay discouraged knowing this is true? So the very first thing you need, the very first prescription, is get God's presence because when God's presence comes, this is what he brings. So when you're sick, you need his presence. When you're broke, you need his presence. When you're beat down, discouraged, when people are gossiping about you, scandalizing your name, you need his presence. But the second prescription I'll need to write to you is found in Psalms 42 and 4. And it is one simple word, remember. You need his presence and you need to remember. 42 and 4 says, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. Now stop right there. Because some of you are saying, yeah, before he left me. Yeah, before the kids grew up. Yeah, I remember how it used to be before I got sick. But that's not what he's about to say. I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing joy and giving thanks amid a sound of great Celebration. Notice that his heart breaks when he remembers how he used to worship. He's not remembering how good things used to be. He's remembering how he used to respond. He's remembering that no matter how bad things got, I used to have a song. I used to worship. I used to praise. Even, even not only was he going, did you hear what he said? He said, I even led other people in worship. I even encouraged other folks. And I know some of you look at me like a, I got lobsters crawling out of my ears. Because you're saying, Pastor, how's that helpful? If my heart is breaking, this doesn't sound like a good prescription. But you need to remember, say remember. You need to remember that things haven't always been like this. Things have not always been this hard. You have not always suffered like this. There has been good days. Somebody say yes. Yeah, and if God was God then, do you think that he is any less God right now? If he was the God of then, he is the God of today. And eventually good is going to show up again. So remember, number three, the third prescription is don't skip office visits. I'm Dr. Reverend Pastor Bishop Albert Mitchum. Welcome to my office. You do not need to skip church. Because did you notice what he said? It was at church where he was doing all that praising. He said, I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God. Can I tell you, you need church. Can I say it again? And you put a little stank on it. You need church. Yes, you need church. It's that simple. I wish every time we got together, everything was perfect. I really do. I wish when you came here, the angels was hovering and just, ah. But it's not. Some Sundays you'll walk in here, and you'll be too hot. The next Sunday, you're you too cold. Somebody's going to be sitting where you want to sit. You picked up the monthly bulletin, and the font was too small. 
And now you don't know how to read it. You went to the bathroom and the toilet didn't work. You had to wait in line. I'm going to preach the most boring sermon you've ever heard in your life. And the kid in front of you is doing double backflips, picking his nose and wiping it on the seat. And you wonder why in the world you even bothered to come to church. But the fact of the matter is you need to be here. Because you're not just here to hear the word. That's important, but you're also here for one another. They need you and you need them because we encourage each other by coming to church. The wounded and the well. The hurting and the healed. The broken and the repaired. Somebody say yes. And let me make it as simple as possible to you, okay? There are some names that I call out in prayer every day. And I would have never met you if you hadn't came to church. Hello? Is, does that resonate? God, God, the Holy Spirit has dropped that in my spirit this morning. When I was studying for this message, I thought, that's right. There are names, and, and, and one of them is my friend Bill Crossley. He ain't here this morning, so apparently I need to pray for him harder. I call his name out in prayer every day. Troy Lynn, who's not able to be here this morning, I call her out in prayer every day because there's something going on. Doyle, who can't even know that I'm in the room, if I'm in the room with her, I call her name out in prayer Every day, Terry Lewis, who, who used to worship with such intensity, tears would just fall down his bald-headed face. I love Brother Terry, and he hasn't been able to, 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 to really worship God in a long time, and I pray for him every single day. Some of your prodigal sons and daughters, the only reason that I'm standing on the battlefield fighting for their soul is because you brought them to church and I was their pastor and I stood there and watched you dedicate them to God and I baptized them in water. You think I'm going to let them babies go without a fight? I'm fighting for your babies. And the reason is because you brought them to church. We need to be not just in the church, we need to be the church. So get your family involved, invested, if nothing else, so that there's people praying for you. It's hard to pray for the redhead on the third prude. The woman with the dangly earrings. The guy with the backwards baseball cap. It's hard to pray for you when I don't know who you are. So get invested Verse 6 says, my God, now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. Yeah, you got to remember. Even from the Mount, the distant Mount Hermon to the source of the Jordan to the land of Mount Mazar. Hermon is a high mountain. Uh-huh. Listen, what he's saying is I remember when I wasn't in this valley. I remember life hasn't always been like this. I remember how it feels when I'm on the mountaintop. Uh, we used to sing in the old church, precious memories, how they linger, how they ever flood my soul. In the stillness of the midnight, precious, sacred scenes unfold. You need to remember, there's nothing wrong with tracking back over your life and reminding yourself that God's blessings far outnumber your discouragements. Yes, you may be in the valley right now, but how many times did God snatch you up and set you right and be your enemies off of you. How many times has God been good to you? Remember, I remember how good God has been to me. And I'll see his goodness in the land 
of the living. Psalm 42 and 8 says, But each day the Lord pulls His unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing His songs. Praying. Praying. To Facebook. So all my friends will send this emoji. We turned into a lazy bunch of Christians with text messages and, and social media. This is what he says. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing a song praying to God who gives me life. So your fourth prescription is finish your prayers. I said finish your prayers. It's not enough to start a prayer. You need to finish your prayers. Pray. When you feel discouraged, hear me church, pray. Don't post, pray. Well, pastor, I, po I prayed and I'm still discouraged. Pray some more. You know what happens when you take antibiotics? You know what it says on the bottle? Some of you medical people, tell me what it says. Finish your prescription. Uh, finish your prescription. So it's as simple as that. If it hasn't happened yet, you ain't done praying yet. Somebody ought to get excited. Finish your prescription. Finish your prayers. Well, I prayed and nothing happened. Pray some more. Pray and don't stop praying until you have prayed through. If it's daytime, pray. If it's nighttime, pray. Pray until something happens. Pray until something breaks. Pray until something changes. Look at your neighbor. Look him square in the eye and ask him this question. But have you prayed? Uh, I know you squalled, but did you pray? I know you cried. But did you pray? I know you posted about it, but did you pray? I know you beat your head against the wall. I know you complained. I know you wrote a thesis about it, but did you pray? Because all that other stuff didn't fix it, but prayer will. Number five. Tune in to feel better. Tune in. Tune in to feel better. Can I show you something? I can't carry a tune in a bucket. But I love to sing. I don't hurt you by doing it in your presence. But I love to sing. When I was a traveling evangelist, I took my best friend who could sing really good. And he did the singing, and I did the preaching. And I didn't try to do his, and he didn't try to do mine. And my wife and I are a good team because she sings so well, and I just keep my nose out of it. And, and, and by the way, I don't sing, but I always have a Rolodex of songs in my spirit. And that, listen, because when I feel on those occasions that I'm getting discouraged, when darkness comes, a song will rise up in my soul. 
I haven't convinced you, so let me help you. We sang one of them this morning. Help is on the way. I will stomp on the devil's head. I put that in my in my ears, and I help is on the way. Everybody help. And I, how can you not get excited when you start singing that? But let me let me teach you something, okay? Don't get me excited. I'll run. I gotta teach you something. The right song can inspire you. Reach down and lift up your soul like nothing else. You know why? God designed us to love music. And He designed us to respond to music. That's why there's a choir in heaven. Because worship goes on around God's throne continuously. Day and night, night and day, let worship arise. That's why the ex-choir leader in heaven named Lucifer still uses music. Some of y'all don't believe me. I'm getting some amens, but some of y'all don't believe me. The devil uses music today. Matter of fact, he's controlling this whole generation through music. Um... Generation X. I know most of the time everybody forgets about us, but let me see your hands. If you are around my age, if you're like 40 to 55, okay, okay, okay. These are my people. So, 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 so in uh, elementary school, we had one of these big old boom boxes up on our shoulder. Took about 95 D-cell batteries. My mama bought me one set of batteries and said, make them last. I played through a side of one cassette, and they was dead. I had to plug it up from then on out. Anytime I was going to carry around the neighborhood, I had to have an extension cord dragging behind me. So my mama wasn't buying them D-cell batteries. It took the power of that rascal. When I was a kid, that, we're the generation that invented it. If you ever heard somebody coming by your house, and it made you mad because they went by going boom, 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 boom. That was us. We did that. They're still copying it, but we did that. We liked our music so much, we thought we should share it with everybody. We had these big boom boxes. We had the, the 12-inch woofers in the back of our Vegas and our Novas. And we'd put two in there and five in the trunk, and we'd go boom, boom. We'd have a $1,000 uh, stereo system in a $300 car. And the suspension was shot, so every time the bass would hit, we bounced down the road. That was us. We did that. Our music was loud and proud. This generation? Earbuds. Earbuds. They don't listen to anything out loud. They're getting the message pumped directly into their ear holes with no censoring. I remember my mama saying, what do you think you're listening to? Looking at me like that tone of voice. I wasn't always a bishop. She hear Easy E coming out of my stairs. She say, turn that mess down. You don't know what these kids are listening to today. And they walk around. Listen, I love music. You love music. But we took breaks. They do it constantly. 
They fall asleep with it. They wake up with it. They walk around with it. They're oblivious to the whole world because that music's being pumped directly into their ears. And who do you think is controlling? Hello? Because he has given them a message that he wants them to hear. Every religion in the world uses music. In a few weeks when I talk about the age, I'm going to go over and talk about the three Hebrew boys when they said, when you hear the music, bow. That's, that's going to be a good point in a few weeks. Hold on to that nugget. Somebody tell me, who was around? Michelle, what did I preach October the 6th, six years ago? Go. You don't remember? You flunked. You got a D for this course. On remember when. Let me tell you something. You can't remember most of the sermons you've heard. But if I play the right song, it is prom night again. Hello? And I have preached a lot of sermons since your prom. But if I play the right, <laughs> if I play the right music, you are out on the dance floor again. You got bell bottoms, butterfly collars. Somebody help me. Getting your groove thing on again. You remember your wedding reception? How wild everything got because you heard the song. Music does things that nothing else can. Music will create a mood. They're all smiles. How many of you are thinking of snow? How many of you are thinking of a tree or presence? Uh-huh. Listen, I changed the mood that fast. We went from a serious church service to that. Everybody's going. From one song. It can also create an atmosphere. can affect your emotions, which is where discouragement and depression lie. Mom and daddies are getting teary-eyed. Parker's just went through this. That's emotional, right? Brings an emotion out of you. How about this one? emotion out of you, right? It does something. It's visceral. See what I'm talking about about music? It can also, music can also take you places. Like, it'll take you on a trip down memory lane. Some of y'all about to be seven years old. You're in Sunday school.
that one wasn't the seven-year-old you, some of y'all were seven when this happened. How about this one? We just did this yesterday. See what it does to you? Right? Takes you down memory lane, right? Uh, I didn't forget about you guys that are a generation before me. I got one for you too. Not that one, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. We'll get to that one in a second. How about the older generation? How many of you see Andy and Opie with their fishing poles? Uh huh. That's black and white, right? That's black and white. You you took a trip down memory lane. You remembered a big old TV when TVs were still huge, like the size of a Volkswagen, sitting in the middle of your floor. I was the remote. When they wanted a ch channel change, get up and change the channel. And it sounded like, pack, pack, pack. And there was Andy, and, and all, the, all the Gen Zers are in here going, what was that? Now, you don't believe me, but music can also invoke a response, and this is why the devil likes to use it. Because music can entice you to do things that you normally wouldn't do. It can entice you to dance. It can entice you to sing along. Oh, you don't believe me? Mm, no, okay. Uh, music can make you sad. It can make you smile. And it can make you join in. You say, not me, preacher. Oh, really? You never went to sports events? You didn't join in? You want to tell me you've been to a Steelers game in that stadium, and when the third quarter starts, and Renegade comes up, you didn't, wait, you didn't grab them stupid towels and start doing this? That wasn't you? That wasn't you. You wasn't doing that? That wasn't you? You didn't participate in that? You ever been to a baseball game and during the seventh inning stretch, they start playing, take me out to the, that wasn't you, you wasn't joining in? That's not who you usually are. You usually don't do that, but you did because music has the ability to entice you. Now, when I was playing basketball, it was na-na-na-na. See, you were there too. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah. So, so you, see, I made you sing in church. Some of you wouldn't sing the worship songs an hour ago. But I just made you sing at church because I got the right song. How and how about this one? And when I heard Burden runs off my shoulders You never sang in church. Tell me I never sang in church. Touching warm, reaching out, touching me, touching you. See, see, so you didn't sing none of that worship stuff, but it bop, bop, bop. Right on key, right on cue, you knew all about it. So that, 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 that is the power of music. So you need some music 
You need some songs tucked down in your soul because if it can do that to you, what do you think a song that is uplifting to Jesus will do in your darkest, discouraging moments? That's why the enemy loves to get you concerned about other things and take your mind off of the prescription. While you're on your way to destiny, hear me out. You're going to encounter a devil that has been strategically designed against you. Do you realize that the enemy of your soul has been studying you for generations? You're not new to him. He knew your family before you were around. And he knows where you are vulnerable. He knows what hurts you. He knows what breaks your heart. He knows what hurts your feelings. He knows what saps your strength. He knows what keeps you up at night. And this is the truth. The closer you get to your breakthrough, the harder the fight will be. So, I want to show you something. should have used a lapel this morning but since I didn't Jenny come here come help me you from the county you know how to wash dishes without a machine just stand right there behind that if you don't mind you're on your way to destiny and you encounter so many things that discourage you, try to disable you, and depress you. Because you're picking up stuff. Go ahead and grab that for me. Everywhere you've been is inside of you. Everywhere you've been is inside of you. And sometimes it comes running out. Of you spilling out all over your family, spilling out all over your co-workers. Because when you get so full you can't contain, it has to come out somewhere. And then the real pain comes when life rings you out. Make no mistake about it. Some of you are in relationships that's ringing you out. Some of you are in careers that are ringing you out. Some of you have mortgages that is ringing you out. And look what happens when you get, it's, it's taken out what was in you, but it hurts. It's twisting you. It's putting you in a bind. It's not desirable. But here's what you need to know. The enemy uses the ringing to disable you. But what he don't know is when you get empty, you're showing God where he needs to fill you up. So when you take the old out through the ringing process, the enemy is ringing you trying to get you to quit, trying to disable you, trying to make you so discouraged that you stop moving forward. The devil should have read his Bible. 
Because the Bible tells me all the way back in Egypt land that the more Pharaoh afflicted God's people, the more they grew. How many in this room knows that you are growing through affliction? You are growing through your pain. You've been getting wrung out, wrung out, wrung out, but you can say, thank God I'm still here. The devil thought I'd quit. The devil thought I'd back up. The devil thought I'd stop, but I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep coming to church. I'm going to sing a song in my heart. I'm going to fill up on the goodness and the anointing of God. He thought I would quit. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep going until I'm filled up with the goodness of God. How many in this room can testify? You're growing in spite dip that in there again. Every Sunday I come to church and I feel like life is just ringing me out. Ringing me out. But what the devil don't know is I've got a feeling coming. There's an infilling from heaven about to take over. And all the broken places, all of the places where I was emptied out, God's about to fill up and put a song in my heart. Let me have a song. Praise team, give me a song. Get a song in your heart. Get a song in your heart. Get a song in your heart. You being, have you been wrung out lately? Anybody feel? God, Pastor, life's just been ringing, ringing me. You need a song. Open your mouth. But have you prayed? You've been wrung out, but have you prayed? You've complained, you've cried, but have you prayed? You got a song? Rough roads are ahead, but you're more than a conqueror. You're not defeated, you're not destroyed. You're an overcomer. The devil should have never messed with you. Because you're going to be better after this than you was going in. He shouldn't have run you out. Because now I'm filled up with something I didn't have before. Somebody stand up on their feet and give God some praise. I still got You've been wrung out, but you're not empty. You're being filled right now. You're being filled right now.
you do it till you don't feel the darkness anymore. Till you don't feel the discouragement anymore. Until you feel realize that you were wrung out to be filled up. Come and 